All right, so tonight we're talking about evangelism, which is sharing our faith. Uh, evangelism just means sharing good news. Evangelism could simply be you talking about your favorite sports team, favorite baseball team. You're evangelizing, you're sharing good news. You're talking about what you love. And so it makes sense if we say that we're Christians, Christ followers, that we would also share about what we say is the most important person in our lives. So I think a lot of people though, especially in the age that we live in, are a little nervous about evangelism because it can feel like it's um, done very poorly. That people don't really know how to share their faith because the way it comes off is very arrogant or the way it comes off is uh, very demeaning or judgmental. And I don't think that's the way that you see it in the book of Acts of the disciples. When you look at how the early church was sharing about their faith in Jesus, uh, it's very different than what you might see on the news. So we're going to talk about that by reading about Philip, the evangelist, his encounter with an Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. So let's read Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and he went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Let's pray. Lord, we're just so thankful for another night to open up your word and to hear from heaven. And we do pray, Lord, that you would bless it as these people have come here tonight just eager for a word from you that you would speak in a powerful way. We believe that you're a real God. And when we talk to you, you also talk back. So we praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So evangelism. Evangelism, I think, always has to come from an experience that you personally have with God, right? We are not like Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, I probably said this before, but I've had encounters with Jehovah's Witnesses in the mall, like probably like you've had, where they're talking to you or they're knocking on your door and or they'll have the stand in the mall, you know? And when you're talking to them about their faith, everything they say is recited. It's just, it's memorized and they're required to, because of their religion, always make sure that they're uh, converting people. So when you talk to a Jehovah's Witness, here's the one question they'll never be able to answer. At least I've never found a Jehovah's Witness is able to answer this. The question is, so what made you come to faith as a Jehovah's Witness? Or what changed your life? Like, what was the thing that made you say, this is why I believe? And almost always, they'll have a recited answer of, well, of course. I mean, it's just true. Just, and then they go back into the recited, no, no, no. What is your testimony? Your story of personal transformation. Like, why would you believe in something if it's not just like, okay, it's not true. But why would you believe in something that hasn't shaped you and changed your life? 
Like, that's what a belief is. I believe in a chair, a chair's ability to hold me, therefore I sit in the chair. I believe that when I purchase a car, that it's a good car, and therefore I'm going to drive it everywhere. I'm not going to be nervous that the wheels are going to fall off. You know, I trust when I go to a restaurant, they're not going to poison me. I have these beliefs, and I act in accordance with my beliefs. So why would you subscribe to something that you don't actually feel is shaping your life? And so a lot of people, their beliefs are like that. I grew up in the church, or I grew up as a Muslim, or I grew up as a Buddhist, my family's Buddhist. So why do you believe the things that you believe? Are you a Christian just because you grew up in a Christian household, or you grew up in America, and you think, oh, well, Americans are Christian. So sure, I'm a Republican, so I should be a Christian too, because that's what Republicans are, or whatever. Or do you believe in Jesus because he truly has transformed your life from the inside out? Mike is one of those people. He believed in Jesus not because he grew up in the church, because he didn't. He believes in Jesus because he personally transformed his life and freed him from addiction. And if you go around the room, I bet you you'll find those stories again and again. So then why is it if we have these stories of personal transformation like I have, why is it that we are so hesitant to share our faith with other people? Right? Like if there are people that you have friends, I have friends that are trapped in addiction, maybe it's alcohol or drugs, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's, you know, the fact that they keep on getting in trouble with the law or maybe they're, they're just self-absorbed. There are different people with different struggles and we say that we have the answer. So why is it that we don't share that answer with other people? Why is it that we have this hope inside of us that is unshakable and so it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if it's the next pandemic. It doesn't matter if it's whatever. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be easily shaken because deep down inside, we know that Jesus is in our hearts and we're going to be okay. And if that's true, then why will we not want to share that with somebody else? As I mentioned in the beginning, it's like evangelism is just sharing about good news and it could be your favorite baseball team or whatever. And people will fight to the death for their favorite sports team, Right? People fight to the death for their favorite car or favorite food. People love to debate about what they believe is the best. And when we talk about the best thing in all of creation, in all of the universe, to be able to enter into a relationship with the living creator God, why would we not share about that? And the answer is, I think people are afraid of how people will respond or what people will think. And so it's like the hardest thing to think about, like, oh, okay, how, how do I share this experience? Because you have a genuine experience, but you're afraid of what people are going to say, especially now. Like, especially if you go on Twitter, you go on any form of social media, and how many people are just ready to crucify you, no pun intended, for your belief in Jesus. Crucify you for your deeply held conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord, that there is a such thing as exclusive truth. Meaning like we don't believe that just whatever you believe is fine. We don't believe that about medicine, right? Everybody hotly debates about whether the vaccines work or whether they don't work, but nobody's like, oh, there's no answer. Just whatever you feel is fine. If you use the vaccine, it's fine. If you don't use the vaccine, it's fine. It's just everything's fine. Like you have a deeply held belief that your immune system will succeed and you have a deeply uh, belief that it won't. And both of you are right. 
No one would be okay with that. Everyone will fight to the death for what they believe is the truth. And then when it comes to the most important things in all the universe, the question about the origin story, God, and does God exist, and did he create us for a purpose? Then everybody goes, well, it doesn't matter what you believe. Everybody's fine. Everybody's right. That can't be true. That's literally impossible. If we would be so argumentative about the smallest things in comparison, why would we not be willing to talk about the most important thing? So people, I think, are afraid of what people think, so they just kind of shut up, right? But what if you had an experience like Philip? Philip sees this Ethiopian eunuch by himself in a chariot in the desert, reading the Bible, reading the prophet Isaiah. And Philip goes up to him and goes, hey, um, are, are you reading a Bible by any chance? Oh, yes, I am. Do you understand what you're reading? Well, how can I unless somebody guides me? I mean, that's literally the easiest conversion in all of human history, right? Like he didn't have to do anything. Philip was just there at the right place at the right time. And he had a lasting impact in this one person's life. Imagine if there's a person out there that might be like this Ethiopian eunuch, that the person that you share with might be like, oh man, I'm so glad you shared this, me, this with me because I had no idea. In fact, I have a friend that I met a couple years ago who's since moved over uh, to a different state. But a couple years ago, I met him in the climbing gym. And literally, this was like a divine appointment if there ever was one. I'm in the climbing gym. I don't know him. He doesn't know me. It's like our first conversation ever. I'm climbing. He's climbing. And he says to me, hey, do you mind if I ask you like a deep question? And I go, sure. He's like, do you have any like good life advice? And I'm like, uh, okay, yeah. Um, I mean, and then I started sharing a little bit about what I believe. I, I shared with him a Bible verse. And I was like, you know what? Maybe this is over the top, but I kept going. So I went for like 10 minutes straight talking about creation, talking about the problem with humanity the fact that we've all sinned and we all need a savior. We've all messed up this world. All the anger, all the evil is caused by us. And Jesus Christ came to be that answer. And so then like after 10 minutes of me just straight up like monologuing at him, I was like, all right, I overdid it. And I see he's like deeply thinking, you know, and he's just like, man, how do I get closer to God? And like, whoa, this is crazy. So then I was like, well, at this point, He's probably like either a Christian. He's like pretending to be like a non-Christian or something. So I asked him, like, do you grow up in church or your parents are Christian or something? And he says, no, my parents are Muslim, but like I've never heard this stuff before. So, and I'm like, oh, this is crazy. So then I give him the gospel of John. And I said, well, you know, just start reading this. And then why don't you come to my climbing gym next week? And then we can talk about it. He's like, okay. The next week he's at my climbing gym. He, he drove like 30 minutes to come to Garden State Rocks over Marlboro. And as we're climbing together, he goes, okay, do you mind if I borrow that Bible for one more week? I'm like halfway through, I'm almost done. I'm like, oh yeah, sure. I mean, you can keep that one. Another week goes by, he finishes the book of John. He goes, so I finished the book of John. What do I do now? And I go, I don't know. Nobody ever gets this far. <laughs> it just, everybody's like, have them start in the book of John, but I don't know what to do after that. So I started sharing more with him. And eventually, he starts coming to church. He's never been to church in his life. 
as a Muslim, never been to a church. He starts listening to Pastor Lloyd in, in the service with me. He's listening to worship songs. He's asking every question about like, why do they sing songs? And what do I wear? And what do I do? And then while I'm journaling, this is how basic the questions get. I'm journaling during the, the Bible study. And he goes, how do you know what to write down? Like, what are you writing down right now? And it was just like crazy to me. So I started meeting up with him, discipling him, integrating him into the life of Christ. And, and so now he's a believer. He's down. He's, um, he's learned to be a dentist. He went to a Christian school for that. And, uh, you know, I still keep in touch with him. It's been amazing. And I look at that, that opportunity. And a lot of people, when they think of conversion or they think about evangelism, they think about looking at people and forcing them to believe what you believe. That's not what we're about. We're about like, hey, my life's amazing. Not all the time. But pretty much like all the time, I do have this lasting peace that surpasses my circumstances. And if you want that, I'm, I'm up for sharing that. And then there's people like my friend, like this person in the Bible story we're listening to today. How many people are like that out there who are just saying, you know what, this has been the most depressing year of my entire life. I have many people like that I'm talking to saying, I have no friends. I've been stuck in my house for like a year and a half. I have nobody to talk to. I'm so depressed, so lost. I'm without hope. And they don't even know about Jesus. They don't even know if there is a Jesus or what the Bible has to say about anything. They just hear one thing on the news and that's it. And you get to be the true picture of who Jesus is by simply being sent. Because you know what's really interesting about this story? Is the fact that Philip went into the desert. Philip didn't go into a crowd of people. He didn't go to the popular place. He actually left a revival in Samaria and went into Gaza, which the Bible says here in Acts chapter 8, is desert. He went where nobody else was going. Literally, if you, if you think about evangelizing, why would you go to a place where there's literally no life? And that's because God had called him to go. So I'm going to say for you tonight is not to become someone that you're not. I'm not saying that you have to become an evangelist. Like you have to be one of those crazy people that's on the boardwalk. And if you're one of those people, more power to you. But <laughs> you don't have to be one of those very bold people, I should say, on the boardwalk who's just reading scripture to people and saying, repent or perish or something. That's not who I'm trying to make you to be. But I am saying if God is putting it on your heart to go and speak to someone who's lost, that's exactly what we're called to do. And you know what? That's the most joyful experience that you can ever have is having a lasting impact on somebody else's soul. So tonight we're going to talk about evangelism, the mandate, the method, and the message of evangelism. So number one, we're going to talk about the mandate, and that is simply to go when the Spirit leads. Go when the Spirit leads. Looking at verse 26 again, it says, The angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert, as we just mentioned. So he arose and went, and behold, a man in Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And so that's when Philip was told to go and overtake the chariot. So you might be saying, oh, okay, I understand what you're saying. I don't have an angel telling me to do anything like this. Maybe not, but the question is, 
Are you putting yourself in a position where you can hear what God is saying? Maybe you don't have an angel speaking to you, but do you spend time in the word of God every day? Spend time in prayer so that when the opportunity arises, you can answer God's call. Because circumstances will always cause us to hesitate in sharing Jesus with others. For some of us, it might be where you are, the desert, the fact that you're discouraged because you feel like you're the only Christian that you know in your workplace or your school. Or it could be who you're called to speak to. In this case, this man had great authority under Candace the Queen, it says. So this is not just Joe Schmo. This was a celebrity. And he was called to speak to this person. Thing He could have thought, well, who am I to talk to this guy? He probably wants nothing to do with Jesus. I don't know how to answer his questions. He's probably have all kinds of questions. He's probably a very well-educated person. Why would God send me to that guy? Well, the answer is, God loves to use people who feel like they're unqualified because they're going to pray a lot harder when they're called to go, right? If God called a person who felt like he was well-educated, maybe like Paul the Apostle, who ever since he was little studied under a great uh, Pharisee, maybe if God called him, Paul would have been less dependent. But Philip, I mean, what is Philip now? And so you might be waiting for the perfect opportunity to share Jesus with others. Like, well, I don't know if that person, that person seems really angry. They seem like they're having a bad day. Or you might be like, you know what? I just don't think it's the right time, the right conditions. And the fact of the matter is you might be missing, missing out on what's really going on in the person's heart. As the Bible says, man looks on the outside, God looks at the heart. You have no idea what, what people are going through. And I've shared this story before, but it's worth sharing again, that I have a pastor friend who is in Florida, pastor of, of a church down there. And he told us this story once that he got saved when he was a teenager, invited to one of those Harvest Crusade big evangelism events. And so he went, he listened to Greg Laurie preach. And afterwards, he went forward for the altar call. And all of his friends said, you know what? Out of every person that we know, we never thought that you would ever become a Christian. And you know what he thought? Wait a minute. You thought that I was the last person to become a Christian and you still invited me? Isn't that incredible? You never know how a person will respond. And therefore, that's not our job. Our job is just to give out the invitation. Say, hey, listen, this is the life that I'm living. If you're interested in that, and you're at your wit's end. You've tried everything else. You've tried fame. You've tried success. You've tried relationships. And it always seems like you're coming up dry. You're always coming up empty. Then this is an opportunity to find true fulfillment in the one who can give it. So that's our mandate. Our mandate is not to become people that we're not. Our mandate is to go when the Spirit leads to be listening to his voice. And when God says, I want you to go and overtake that chariot. I want you to go into the desert. It may not make any sense, but you're going to go anyway. For us, it absolutely does not make sense to go into Brooklyn to try to start a church right now. It makes no sense. This is the worst time to go in. And in some ways, it's the best time to go in because of all the people that we're meeting, which is really exciting. But it's just been our constant struggle. I talked about this last time we had grading. It's still my struggle to find an apartment. It's impossible. We just got turned down for a one-bedroom apartment. A one-bedroom. And I texted everybody today. I said, we're doomed. There's no way this is going to work. This is crazy. 
If they won't let me take a one bedroom for my six person family, where am I going to stay? I'm like strategizing. Maybe I need to like buy one of those, those, uh, you know, like, um, what are they called? Not a trailer. Help me out here. RV. Yes. I need to just like buy an RV and just park it there. And that's, I'll just live somewhere on the streets. And when all the families are like, so where do you guys live? We're like, we actually live in the RV that's parked there that annoys everyone. That's us. I don't know. But I already gave my notice to my apartment that we're leaving by October 31st. So I got to find something. So anyway, this is, you know, I was talking to a friend today and he was talking about a, a relationship and, you know, he was, he's asking the question of like, how much do you plan ahead now that you're married versus when you were single? Like when you're single, it seemed like you're very methodical about everything. And I said, well, I don't think being married changed anything. I think what changed is the fact that I started taking bigger steps of faith. And the more that you act on faith, the less you can plan because everything's completely unpredictable. It's like Abraham went out to the land that he was called to go and he did not know where he was going. He said, all right, God, I'm going. I don't know why I'm here. I'm in the desert. And that's really what God's calling you to do. Not just me. Like what I'm doing is crazy, but he's going to call you to do crazy things too. But the question is, when he calls you to do something crazy, are you going to have enough faith to believe his word and step, to step into something amazing? So that's our mandate. Go when the spirit calls you. Number two, let's talk about the method. The method, which is to guide lost people to Christ. Verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone, and there's the key word, guides me. And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot. Maybe you're the person who says, I have no idea how to start a conversation about Jesus, or I, I don't have the gift of evangelism. That very, that very well may be true, but you know what? Philip was called Philip the evangelist, but you know, the only other place that we know of about Philip is from is a couple, couple chapters before when it talks about Paul saying, you know what? It's not good for us to wait on tables. Instead, find seven men filled with the Holy Spirit to do the, the food pantry ministry. And so Philip was one of those people that was just a deacon, he was a guy who was doing the physical labor for the church. So Philip, he was the waiter, and now he's the evangelist. And I think evangelism as a gift is less about who you are and more about what God is calling you to do. There's a key distinction there because sometimes you're like, well, I'm not an evangelist. Okay, maybe you're not an evangelist, but it's God calling you to evangelize. Yes, so don't worry about that. Don't worry about whether or not you are a prophet, a teacher, an evangelist, administrator. Don't worry about those things. Ask yourself, is God calling me to teach? Is he calling me to administrate? Is he calling me to step in to this need that's right in front of me? And then God will supply according to all your needs. So the world doesn't need a guru. They just need a guide. And I think sometimes we get confused because you think that you have to be an expert. You have to be qualified somehow. But the answer is, you just need to be a person willing to point people to Jesus. That's all. You just, like, question, do you have the Holy Spirit inside of you? Because the Bible says the Holy Spirit is the comforter. He's the guide. He's the helper. 
He's the one who will give you the words that you need to say in the moment that you need to say it. So when you're so strung out about like, how am I gonna make this work? You don't have to worry because you're not alone and the Holy Spirit's gonna help you with that. And that's why I think a lot of times you'll watch YouTube videos and back when I was like in high school and college, there were a number of evangelists that they have YouTube channels and they have all these mechanical ways of evangelizing on the boardwalk. And they'll have, I remember when I was in youth group, my youth, youth pastor gave us all these 10 commandment coins that has all the 10 commandments listed on it. So you could evangelize, this is your tool. You find a person on the boardwalk, you show them the 10 commandment coin and like, hey, do you wanna go over the 10 commandments with me? And they go, sure, because that's what they did 10 years ago, apparently. Sure, yes, let's go through the Ten Commandments. And do you believe that you're a liar? Do you believe that you, you know, have you ever committed adultery? Have you ever, and then you go through the Ten Commandments and you show them, ha, so on the day of judgment, would you be guilty or innocent? Because you admitted that you've lied before. You've admitted that you've coveted before and whatever. And I guess I'm guilty. And like, and then you can talk about the Savior. So 10 years ago, it worked pretty good. The problem now is you're trying to convict people on morals they don't agree upon that are based in a God that they don't believe in. At least 10 years ago, we could agree that certain things were sin, that there was a, a consciousness that there was a God and you've sinned against God. But today, people don't believe in God and they don't believe in your morals. So instead of trying to memorize strategies, and I've seen it all, the four spiritual laws, way of the master, tried all those different things. And I think that they are effective in certain contexts. But largely, what you need is not any of those things. And I've read all those books. What you need is just to guide people to Jesus. The one thing that people can't take away from you is your story, your testimony. Hey, I don't really know all the answers to everything, but here's what I know. Like the blind man, I was blind, but now I see. That's undeniable. When I was in my band 10 years ago, my drummer, who was on heroin, God completely rescued him out of that addiction, only by the power of God. So it is for us. Be a guide. Be a person that points people to Jesus. Now, Colossians chapter 4 does say in verse 5, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So it is important that you are being intentional of how you share Jesus and that your life also reflects that. There's nothing worse than a person who's a complete hypocrite, right? They talk about God and what, what is right, and then their life doesn't match that at all. It makes people feel like, well, why would I believe what you believe if you don't even walk in the way that you say that you should walk? Instead, we should be always thinking about how the Bible calls us to be ambassadors for Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So you're an ambassador. What does that look like? Well, it means that you're listening and living amongst people who are not Christians. Listening, you're not just talking at them, you're actually hearing their concerns, hearing their questions, which does separate you from most religious people in the world. Most religious people just have dogma. 
They don't have any good answers for your questions because they don't want you to ask questions. But we do. I have a ton of questions. And I know who I can talk to and find good answers. So listen and live alongside people that are not Christians. And then show them how you live your life. Show them how you read the Bible, how you pray. Show them your life that is lived alongside Jesus and following him. Look for places to uh, have, have Jesus enter into your conversation. And don't be afraid of that. I think a lot of times when people evangelize, it's kind of like you're waiting for the perfect segue to have a monologue like I did you know, a couple years ago with my friend. You're looking to have a 15-minute speech. And I used to do this because I was so bad at letting people know I was Christian. All throughout college, I would have classes, I'd have friends that I would know for a year, and they had no clue that I was even a believer, right? And you might have people like that too, so no judgment, because that was me when I was 20 years old. And I got really convicted, because I felt like I was, I was trying to wait for the perfect time, and the perfect time never came. And then God convicted me one night. He's like, you know what? You make fun of those guys that are on the boardwalk who are reading scriptures to people all the time and shouting at them. But when's the last time you've shared Jesus with anybody? And so I felt really terrible. And I looked back at my relationships and I said, you know what? There are people I, I like met and a year later, I don't talk to them at all. So I've had, I like, I met them. I don't talk to them anymore. And they never knew that I was a believer or they never knew about this relationship with Jesus. And I went through this texting spree where I texted like 30 people in one night, just a basic gospel message. And I felt so dumb, so embarrassed. I'm like, this is never going to work. But you know what? At least when I go to bed that night, I'm not praying, oh, Lord, I just pray that you reach them somehow. I go, well, I did everything I could now. Like, I, I literally, there's nothing else I can do. That's it. Right? So I'm not advocating that you just randomly text people a monologue. In fact, I'm advocating the opposite, which is to look to live your life in such a way that's attractive, provokes curiosity, and you can just share your life with people. You can share Jesus with people. So for me, I had to send a text message, a monologue, but people don't want to be talked at. People want to have a conversation. They want to hear why it is that you do the things that you do. A conversation I had with my friend when I asked him about how are you, you and your girlfriend doing? And he says, well, she wants me to make a lot of money. And I said, well, how much money is a lot of money? You know, because it seems to me like if you make six figures or apparently where I'm moving to Brooklyn and like make $200,000 a year, it's still not enough money. I have no idea. Like, oh man, one, I'm not even going to get into this. Some people make so much money. I saw an apartment. I got a listing because I'm on like every single listing in New York City. And it's like, here are some apartments you might be interested in. They sent it in my email box. I opened it up, and it was a one-bed, one-bedroom apartment in Manhattan for $79 million. <laughs> $79 million. How do people have this much money? Right? And, and what's crazy about that is, I do know a couple of people who, who are millionaires. But like millionaires, like they make $3 million a year. That means those really rich people can't afford that apartment. Isn't that crazy? So that just blows my mind. So, but I'm not in that position, right? Like, I'm not rich. But I do know that's a problem for everybody. When they say, I just need a little bit more money. 
if I'm just a little bit more successful, there will always be someone more successful, more popular, more wealthy than you. Is that what you're looking to for joy, for happiness? Because what we found, like Paul says, the often misquoted verse, he says, whether I'm poor and homeless or I'm in a castle, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a true context is Paul says, I don't really care whether I'm in lack or I abound. It doesn't matter because I have Jesus Christ who is in my heart and he's working all things together for good. So the world is so lost about what Christians actually believe. And that's why it's our job to just guide people, show them, point them to the beauty of who Jesus Christ is. So evangelism is not just street with witnessing or having a social media debate. You know, this, this does not mean like you post something on Instagram, a controversial question about Christianity, and then you open up the common thread and then you debate all the people. And, and, and at the end of the day, you put your, your head on the pillow. You're know, like, I did a good job. I debated people for Jesus, you know? Or evangelism is not even tricking them into going to an outreach like we've all done. Like, hey, why don't you come to this concert? It's going to be a lot of fun. Like, okay, I've never heard this band before. They come to the concert, <coughs> Bridge Fest. And while they're sitting there, like, why is there a guy talking? And why is he talking about Jesus for so long? Like, oh, I don't know, but just listen. Just see what he has to say, you know? Like, evangelism simply is pointing people to Jesus. So do you have friends, do you have family members? They don't need a guru, they just need a guide. Someone who proclaims the love and truth of Jesus with their actions and with their words. Lastly, the message of evangelism, which is to give the good news. Look at verse 32. So here's what happens. The eunuch says, how can I unless somebody guides me? And Verse 32, the place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so it opened not his mouth, and his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him. So what did, what did Philip do? Did he give him a lot of politics? No. Did he give him a lot of health advice? No. I mean, I'm, he maybe did that later on. But what did he do? He preached Jesus to him. And the gospel is not what people expect it to be. Here, He's reading a really tough passage. Why in the world was Jesus, like a sheep, brought to the slaughter? Why was Jesus killed? It's because all of our sin is deserving of judgment. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God through Christ Jesus is eternal life. All wrongdoing deserves to be punished. Last year, when everybody's shouting Black Lives Matter, it's because people deep down inside wanted a sense of justice to be brought to their country or to their state or their city or their people group. People are passionate. And so now when we talk about sin, 
If people are going to be that adamant that there's justice in our country, why would we not also ask for justice when it comes to the cosmos? If we agree that we sin, that we make mistakes, why would we believe that we're exempt from any kind of punishment for those sins? If there is a real God, a holy and righteous God, who created the world and everything in it, then that also means that all of us are deserving of the wages of those sins. I can't just punch somebody in the face and expect not to get punched back, or at the very least be held accountable in some way in the legal system that we're in for those actions. And yet, I think I can just sin, I can do whatever I want, and somehow there will be no retribution. Oh, well, you know what? I try my best. God knows my heart. Yeah, God does know your heart. We all know your heart. It's not very good. But we all look at ourselves and say, you know what? I'm not that bad compared to everybody else. But you know, that's the sin of pride. Instead, we need to examine ourselves based on what the God, what the God of the Bible says is the righteous and holy standard. That all sin, even the smallest of sins, is equally punishable because the fact of the matter is, once we break the law, all those sins, even the tiny sins, turn into the bigger sins if left without God's grace. So we need to preach that message, which is not a popular message. But the good news is, verse 39, what happens? After he was baptized, after he came to faith, it says, when they came up out of the water, the, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. It says he was rejoicing. Some people become Christians and they're the most miserable people on the planet. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm trying my best. I still am addicted to these things. I'm still struggling with sin and pornography and whatever. The most miserable people. Here, this Ethiopian eunuch went away rejoicing, even though he heard the gospel, even though he heard about the truth about his sin. And that's because as bad as he was, as bad as we are, we realize that God loved us despite our mess, despite our sin. And that means that you can walk away rejoicing because you understand that everything that you've done is not held against you. That instead, all those sins were laid upon Jesus himself. The wrath of God was placed on him so that we can have eternal life. We can have everlasting joy. And you can help other people through sharing your faith experience that same joy. You know, this is what the Bible says is the one thing that makes angels in heaven rejoice. You ever think about that? Like what gets angels psyched is when they see a soul turn to God. All of heaven rejoices. Now, wouldn't you want to be able to experience that kind of joy as well? To be able to have a lasting impact on somebody else? You know, even in Luke chapter 15, there are the three parables. And here's where I'm going to close. The three parables in Luke 15. There is a lost coin. There is um, a lost son, you know, the parable of the prodigal son. And something else was lost. I don't remember. What was it? Sheep. Thank you. <laughs> I'm the pastor, too. So all those three things were lost. But did you know in only two out of the three was somebody searching? Somebody was searching for the sheep. Leaves the 99, she's after one. Search for the lost coin, goes crazy trying to find the lost coin. The prodigal son, nobody's looking. Why? Because the elder brother's responsibility was to reconcile the differences between the younger brother and the, and the father. 
The elder brother instead folded his arms and looked in judgment, saying, I can't believe that he's getting this party thrown for this prodigal son. I can't believe that he wasted all these things, and yet he still is just as celebrated. It's a responsibility of the elder brothers, those who are in the church, maybe never made that departure. It's your responsibility, it's my responsibility to go and chase after those people who are lost. So in conclusion tonight, what happens? Last couple of verses. In verse uh, 36, now as they went down the road, they came to the water. Eunuch said, here's some water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So what's hindering your friends, your family members from coming to Jesus? It's a good question to ask. Maybe you can even ask them. Like, what would keep you from giving your life to Jesus? Maybe it's an intellectual barrier. They believe that God doesn't exist and the whole thing's just phony. Maybe it's an emotional barrier. They were hurt by the church or a pastor when they were younger. Or maybe they're just, they want to live their life. Yeah, I'll believe that, you know, in 30 years. But they don't understand that you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Well, whatever's hindering them, wouldn't you want to be sure that you aren't the one hindering them? Wouldn't you want to be sure that the, the fact that that person is not coming to faith isn't because nobody was sent? Romans chapter 10 says, how will they believe unless people are sent? Unless the word of God goes forth, people will not know that Jesus Christ has died for them. That they don't have to live for themselves. They don't have to atone for their sins. There is now forgiveness through Jesus. So maybe you're saying, well, I haven't had any opportunities yet. Maybe you're saying, I don't really know what to say. Or maybe you're saying, I really don't care. <laughs> but for all those reasons, I hope that you would share in that conviction. No matter what happens with this church, with this group in the future, that you would see that the call to make disciples is all of our responsibility. And when you do so, there's nothing more fulfilling on this planet to know you've made that lasting impact in somebody else's life. To go to heaven one day and see somebody there and know that they're there and for them to say, thank you for sharing Jesus with me. Thank you for telling me about your first love because now I'm able to be here with you. Let's pray.